What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Joining us today is Steve Olsher, who is known as the world's foremost reinvention expert famous for helping individuals and corporations become exceptionally clear on their what, that is, the one thing they were created to do. His practical, no-holds-barred approach to life and business propels his clients towards achieving massive profitability while also cultivating a life of purpose, conviction, and contribution. A 30-plus-year entrepreneur, Steve is the founder and editor-in-chief of Podcast Magazine, original chairman and founder of Liquor.com, online pioneer who launched on CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993, New York Times bestselling author of What Is Your What? Discover the One Amazing Thing You Were Born to Do, real estate developer, creator of the New Media Summit, host of the number one rated podcasts, Reinvention Radio, and Beyond Beyond Eight Figures, international keynote speaker and in-demand media guest who has appeared on CNN, Huffington Post, the cover of Founder Magazine, and countless other media outlets. Steve Ulsher, welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate you having me, guys. My pleasure. Pleasure having you. Yeah. My first question that I'm just very curious to ask you is, you've been doing this for over 30 years, and you've seen- Can we define this? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Coaching, speaking. Ah, Right. Yeah. What, What would you say has changed the most over the last three decades in the coaching and uh, consulting world, marketing, coaching, consulting, and what has stayed the same? Yeah, change. Um, just the way that we reach people uh, in terms of being able to better target those that we are most compelled to serve. Uh, I think podcasting is, I know podcasting has played a, a big part in that. And of course, online marketing uh, as well. And having been a podcaster off and on since 2009 and launched on uh, CompuServe's Electronic Mall in 1993. I've had um, a fair share of experience in watching both media evolve there. So, um, you know, that's, that's certainly helped immensely. Um, what, what I would say probably hasn't changed uh, is a couple of things. Number one, you still have unqualified people trying to help people that they think they're qualified to help when they're not help, you know, they're just not qualified to help those people and really can't even help themselves, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, but they still just seem, you know, still seem to get paid and uh, they're able to make a living. So, um, you know, I guess there's one born every minute. So there you go. Uh, so there's that. Um, but, you know, outside of that, I think the biggest change that, uh, that I've seen is because there are a lot of people who are unqualified to do things that they shouldn't be doing in the first place. It cuts both ways. It makes the consumer smarter in terms of finding someone uh, in terms of a mentor or a coach or a guide. Uh, who really is more of of what they need, and they've got a better understanding uh, of what it is that they're looking for. And of course, then they have a a better frame of reference with which to say, this investment should generate this return. And so by working with people that they may have invested in, 
and getting certain results that may have not been what they were looking for, at, at least they have a, a barometer with which to measure what makes sense and what doesn't moving forward. So I think that's uh, been immensely helpful. And then on the flip side, uh, I think it's also been really good for the people who have said to themselves, hey, this is easy. You know, if, if you can do this, then, then I can do this. And, you know, frankly, we're all wired to excel in very specific ways. Uh, and, and on the flip side of that, I think there were a lot of people who found out quite quickly, mm, this isn't really what I want to be doing with my life. And that's a good thing. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, how did you pick the niche, if you call it that, of being a reinvention expert and over your career of working in this capacity of helping people either figure out what their why is or getting to the next level, um, did you explore different niches? Did you coach people or support people in different areas? And how did you ultimately um, pick this as kind of your main area of expertise? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know that I have uh, an area of expertise at all, to be honest with you, because it's so hard for me to look back and and recreate my process. You know, I, I was asked over the years, you know, how, how did you get from point A to point B? Uh, and the answer is a, a million little steps, right? And, and there is no shiny object, there's no silver bullet that uh, unfortunately people can just kind of, you know, push the button on and, and make happen. So what I have found is that because it's an ongoing game uh, of reinvention. That seems to be really what resonates with people is the fact that, you know, you can reinvent your life on a dime. And what it is that you do today doesn't necessarily have to reflect what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And I think if anything, I just give people permission to change who they are and what they're doing and to stand up and say, I don't want to die having only done this in my life. And, and so the reinvention piece really just boils down to, you know, in author land, they say that you write the book that you most need. And so the book, what is your, what discover the one amazing thing you're born to do, which goes through the process of really understanding how you're naturally wired to excel and then how to make money sharing that gift is built out of necessity. I mean, it was built out of uh, creating a framework that, that I needed. And so ultimately, the work that I do really just reflects the, the same questions that I have and answering those questions of, of really how do I insert myself into the conversation I want to be a part of. Mm -hmm. when, you get, when you get on with someone in a session or you're speaking to a group and you're helping them understand what is the one thing that they were created to do. Do you think that every person who is not yet doing what they should be or want to be or love doing, do you think every person innately already in that moment knows what it is? And if they're not, and if they're saying, I don't know, there's just fear that they have to work through. Or do you genuinely think there's some people who don't yet know and they need to read books or do other exercises to figure that out? And if so, what do you recommend they do? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I would simply say this, which is I, I do believe that most people uh, for using geographic analogies here, I think most people generally understand the country that they should be living in. They generally understand the state that they should be living in. Where it gets fuzzy for most is going to the right county, going to the right city, going to the right neighborhood, going to the right street, going to the right house. Mm -hmm. And so you can do really, really well from a career perspective, just being in, in the right 
state. If you're not even in the game, if you're not even playing something, you know, it's, it's really hard to win. But those who do exceptionally well stay the course and recognize that this is an evolutionary and organic process. And, and, and they forgive themselves for deciding at some point that what I was doing here isn't quite as good as what I can be doing here. And so even if you look at the, uh, and you mentioned uh, before we, we hit record here, you mentioned uh, one of the events that we do called the New Media Summit. Well, that in of itself is an event where we bring in 40 top podcasters and we give 150 attendees the opportunity to, to take center stage and pitch them on who they are and what they do. And they literally get booked on the spot on their shows. When I went into this arena of creating an event that was kind of a, a match.com in person for people who want to get booked on shows and people who have shows, I, I was giving myself more leeway to be able to say, well, maybe we'll have a YouTube room and maybe we'll have a blogger room and maybe like we'll have all of these different things going on, podcasts, et cetera. Thus the name, the New Media Summit. But that's kind of like being in the right city. So I'm, I'm really close but not the right street and not the right house. Because at the end of the day, it really is a podcast focused event. And so I was committing, but I was afraid to really commit to saying this is a podcast specific event. And I think a lot of people have those same fears of being pigeonholed in a certain way. Yeah. I mean, I, I talk about that a lot. I face that myself. Anthony has too here, my COO, when we're talking about like niching down, not for my whole brand or career, but like you said, for an event or an online course or something that we're teaching. And when you go more specific sometimes, you actually get more listeners, more money, more results, more success, because you're able to pull in people who want that one specific thing. Yeah. Or less people, less money, less results, but it's a much easier go at getting to those results. I would interject one thing. I think there's a quality and a personal trait involved here that somebody secure with their own being and very confident in themselves can thrive and survive anywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, a, a capable person, it's, it's, it's kind of the, uh, the unsaid uh, I don't want to say joke, but it's, let's just say that this isn't vocalized often in the coaching world, which is, and Anthony, I mean, you're, you're spot on. And that is the clients that were going to succeed, were going to succeed without you because they were going to succeed anyway. And all you did as a coach for that person is maybe give them a little direction, maybe hold them a bit more accountable than they would hold themselves, maybe give them a good idea that they move forward with. But ultimately, those that were going to be successful, were going to be successful with or without you. Couldn't yeah. agree more. We're, we're catalysts for that success, if you, if you take it in that, that regard. And, and, and accelerators. And it's I'm curious if you agree with this, Steve, but I feel very 
confident in saying that someone who will succeed with or without you, someone who won't succeed is going to be unsuccessful with or without you. And that's been our experience of working with people specifically who like don't want the help, aren't willing to listen, aren't willing to make changes. And whether or not we're there, it doesn't matter. And we usually will then fire the client in that case. Yeah. And, and look, it's, I'm not one to penalize people for wanting proximity. And sometimes that is all that they want to receive. And that is what they're investing in is proximity to that person who they want to spend more time with. And so in their mind, they may look at it in terms of the ROI from a monetary perspective, but subconsciously on what drives them is just being able to say, I pulled the trigger or I spent some time with this person or I expanded my circle or whatever their, you know, whatever their true currency is. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, let's talk about podcasting. You, uh, how did you initially get into the industry? I, I mean, you saw it all evolve and play out and what was that like yeah. and, and how did you get involved? Yeah, definitely not one of the first people in the game, but certainly one of the early people, uh, in the game. And that's always been a gift of mine. Uh, and it's also been a curse, you know, it's a blessing and a curse from the standpoint of, um, I, I've, I've been really good at knowing in the Wayne Gretzky phrase of, uh, you know, of where the puck is going. But I haven't always been really good at capitalizing on that vision. And so sometimes been too early. And podcasting is a, is a perfect example of that because I started podcasting in 2009. And by 2010, I got bored of it. So I stopped and then came back to it in 2015. But had I stayed the course, you know, who knows what would have happened. So for me, uh, I would just simply say that, that radio has always been one of those holy grails. You put a microphone in my face and it turns me on. You know, maybe there's a phallic thing there I got to figure out and I'll talk to my wife about it. <laughs> Children under 18, please mute your headphones. <laughs> right? um, they don't know what that word means anyway at this point. So, um, but, you know, it's just one of those things where the, the mic is there and, and, I, and, I, and I turn on. And so radio really was my first love. I always had a love for music and DJing and so on and owned my own nightclub when I was 19, DJing clubs for years. Um, so podcasting was a natural extension of that. And I had actually started buying broker time on radio stations back in 2009. And what I realized is it's radio is this really weird medium of having to be in the exact place at the exact time that a message is putting forth or that message falls on deaf ears. I mean, I'm thoroughly convinced that as a percentage 98 to 99% of all radio goes unheard. You know, from the standpoint of you just have, you have so many AM stations, so many FM stations, online, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, the point being that as I sat there and I looked at the push media, if you will, in terms of just the, those, those media that, that are simply throwing out those messages and broadcasting those messages out kind of in shotgun fashion and spraying and hoping to hit something, you know, radio falls in that category. They put out a broadcast. If you're in that particular proximity to the signal and you have your radio tuned to that exact frequency at that exact moment in time, you'll hear it. And so from a numbers perspective, it's a pretty, let's just say it's a bad game. That game works against you heavily, especially when you're buying time versus podcasting, which basically has the equivalent of a, an email rate of uh, an email open rate of 100%, right? Because when you think about it, everyone who listens to a podcast is raising their hand and they're saying, I want that. 
I want to download that. I want to listen to it. It is a pull medium. So the consumer is choosing to listen to that show by downloading, subscribing, et cetera, et cetera, and hitting play. So if you have an email list, you know, you could appreciate how powerful it would be if you had a 100% email open rate, it would be ridiculous. Nobody has that. But it's even more than that. It's, an e it's a 100% email click-through rate, which is, you know, absurd. It's unheard of. And so that's how I started getting into podcasting. That's a very long answer to a very simple question. But I just compared apples to apples. And I said, look, even if 50 people download my show, that's 50 people who are raising their hand to say, yeah. I want to hear that. And the cost of putting out that show is, you know, it's, it's marginal, right? So if I could turn one of those 50 people into a lead, and I do that in 10 shows, and then one out of those 10 ends up investing in a product, program, or service, it's a no-lose game. Just that simple. It's yeah. also fun. And it's fun. It's fun, yeah. It's, it's funny you say that. No, I mean, if you take those numbers, Steve, you take a 10,000-person email list, you put on a 20% open rate, and then a 5% uh, click-through rate, that's 100 downloads. So... That's, you know, it's like a pretty decent email list for someone who's getting started in this game and then not a lot of people listening to the podcast and you're in their ear for 40 minutes to an hour building trust with them directly. Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, in, in full transparency, we've been on for a while, but our shows, we're, we're not fighting Joe Rogan for the top spot. It, it's not, it's not happening. If, if one of our episodes gets a thousand downloads, it's a decent episode. You know, yeah. that's about where we sit. But if you run that math out in the way that you just did, I mean, what is that the equivalent of? I'd have to do the math, but is that like an equivalent? A thousand downloads would be the equivalent using the math. Hundred thousand. That'd be a hundred thousand. Right. Yeah. I, I thought it was just an extra zero there. So yeah. that's, that's pretty dang good. Yeah. That's really good. And, you know, I always go back to this thing because I'm curious what you think about this, Steve, but people in our society are so obsessed with numbers. And I think it's an overcompensation for self-worth when uh, I like to go back to the Kevin Kelly rule, the thousand person rule, where if let's say you had a thousand true fans who paid you a hundred bucks a year, that's, that's six figures. And I'm curious, you know, what you think about this obsession that people have with numbers versus the validity of obviously wanting to have listeners and fans and customers. Yeah. I mean, look, I think it goes back. I've also done real estate development for a number of years and I can use the analogy here, but I think it goes back to the same reason why a lot of developers really get off on, on developing tall, skinny towers. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, I'll let you guys figure that one out. <laughs> but, you so, know, we, yes. Tell us about do. your stand-up career. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and look, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, social proof is, is real. And I, I hope we get to the point where we stop relying on so much social proof. But when you come right down to it, social proof is not a new game. I mean, look at, look at Nielsen and Arbitron, and I mean, whether it doesn't matter what the medium is, there is social proof tied to it. If you have a magazine, you have circulation numbers, and those circulation numbers are audited, and people then take those audited circulation numbers and go to the advertisers and say, you know, you will get 10,249 people to get this magazine 
in their hand. And they had to start auditing because you had a lot of publications back in the day of, you know, of a significant number of print publications saying, oh yeah, we, you know, we have a hundred thousand people who get this every single, you know, every single week or every single day or every single month or what it is. And the advertisers at some point stood up and banded together and said, you know, the, the, the response isn't where it should be based on the numbers that I'm seeing. Are you seeing the same thing? Oh yeah, I'm seeing the same thing. Are you seeing the same thing? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when the, the circulation board, if you will, uh, was formed where they started auditing these circulation numbers. And now you wouldn't advertise in a publication that doesn't have that audit. And it's the same thing in, in social. It's the same thing in podcasting. It's the same thing no matter where you go when you're asking someone to invest and receive a, a particular ROI. It, it has to be sustainable. It has to be measurable. Um, and, and as much as I'd like to say that the numbers don't matter, they do. Yeah. Do you think it affects a lot of shows? You know, they're worried about that number versus content and so on and so forth. Or do you think it's not a big issue in the industry? Um, you know, look, I think it's always going to be up to the consumer to make that decision. If the content sucks, they'll go away. It's just as simple as that. And, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, my team and I, we have listened to a lot of the top shows. And most of them are pretty bad. It's, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. it's surprising how bad a lot of the top shows are. And I'm not saying that our shows are, you know, are the world's best, but I think that our content stands neck and neck with a lot of the content that's out there, yours as well, and a lot of other shows, right? So, yeah. so it really just boils down to what's the game that you're playing. And the game that you're playing is celebrity. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, it's, a, it's a game of celebrity. And the game that the people who play the game of celebrity best win. And you can and you can run that all the way up to the pole to the White House. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, I, I knew you were going to say that about the quality of content. <laughs> Let, let's talk about content for a second, <clears throat> because we do as podcasters and fellow uh, listeners have the ability to improve our content. And I'm curious what you have to say about that. You don't. How, well, no, I you don't. I mean, it's people either have the ability to create great content or they don't. It's, it's really as simple as that. I, I disagree with that because I've gotten a lot better at creating content. Okay. So you've probably gotten better creating content because you've gotten feedback from people who have the ability to give you guidance that allows you to create better content. So, yeah. and, and if that's the case, then sure. But at the same token, we could sit down all day long and you could try to teach me calculus and I might get it. But I would simply say this, that there are innate skills and there are learned skills. Content, to some extent, can be a learned skill. But, you know, like Anthony just said, you know, when does my stand-up career begin, right? I mean, you, you have certain pieces <laughs> of your personality sure. or you don't. And those, of unfortunately, can't be learned. Absolutely. I was just going to say, yeah, to your point, ahead. Steve, you're a born leader or you're not a leader. And you either have a view of the world. Or yeah, you don't. Exactly. Yeah. So, so let's stick with the example. Like, I think I'm a good example where I've been doing this for three, four years now, and I've gotten a lot better. I've developed more confidence. I've been able to get better guests, ask better questions. Um, you know, like, like, so if you take someone who has the capacity and they're not performing at their level, how, where, what would you look at, Steve, to help them get to peak performance as a content creator, podcaster, or radio person? Yeah, I mean, I would simply say that the, the answer lies in understanding how you're naturally wired to excel. 
And no matter how you slice it, I don't believe in jamming square pegs and round holes. I mean, it just results in pain. And so the, the God's honest truth is there may be someone who would be better suited to do what it is that you were doing. And at the same token, it, it may be, as I said, a developable, a developable, developable skill. But what I, what I know to be true is that if you just keep simply banging your head up against the wall, all you're going to do is end up with a hole, right? I mean, like you just can't create something where the, the ingredients aren't there. If I don't have the right ingredients to create chocolate chip cookies, I can tell you anything I have in the house and it's still not going to get to be a good chocolate chip cookie. End of story. So in terms of developing that skill, if that is something that you are truly committed to, then A, you have to find people who are doing what you want to be doing. When we launched Podcast Magazine, and I ended up landing 21 different writers for the magazine to take care of different sections in addition to everything else that we're doing with the magazine, when it came time to say, here's how we want the articles to read, I had to give them examples. I had to go out and show them this is what we are trying to model. And I had to create the articles, you know, myself to feature articles and then say, here's an example of how I'm writing this. I want you to, to model and emulate what we're doing here. So that would be step number one, right? Which is you definitely need to find people who you want to model because there is someone else out there who's already doing what it is that you want to do. And if you're committed to making that happen, then look at what, you know, look at what it is that they're doing and how they're doing it. Then number two, you just have to simply put in the time. You have to put in, you know, the Gladwell 10,000 hour rule, et cetera, et cetera. If you're truly committed to being a master of that craft, you've got to put in that time. And then number three, like you said, Brendan, you've got to be open to feedback and, and you've got to just thicken that skin and be open to constructive criticism and just hear this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks, followed by here's how you can improve it. And then take those words and focus on the message, not the messenger and move forward. And, and if you can't separate the message from the messenger, you're in the wrong game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think that that's been a skill that has enabled me to get a lot better is uh, disconnecting my behavior from who I am as a person. And so if I'm on stage and I say something and I get helpful feedback about that, I'm not going to take it as a sign about who I am at my core of my soul. It's like, how, yeah. how do I improve? And so that's a really good point. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I, I do a lot of stage presentations and I remember sharing this story of these uh, four amazing young women, the, the Lucci quads, these uh, four amazing young girls who were bounced in and out of foster homes and just had a really tough go as kids. And anyways, they, they ended up being taken in by one family and they grew up to be amazing girls and, and young women. And now they're doing everything they can to shed light on a lot of the atrocities that take place in the foster care system. Uh, and I remember sharing that story uh, on stage for, for at least a good couple of years before someone came up to me and said, you know, when you reference the fact that the majority of people who take in foster care children are only doing so for the money, I want you to know that I take offense to that. And, it, and, it, and you lost me with the rest of your presentation. I would have enrolled in your Profiting from Podcast training, but you lost me in that one sentence because I'm, you know, I'm a living testament to the fact that you can say the large majority, whatever, but it sounds like all of us. And I've taken in hundreds of foster kids over the years and helped them, blah, blah, you know, whatever the number was. Right. And, and that feedback really hit home. 
you know, and even dropping the F-bombs and these sort of things. And, you know, does it really add to what you're doing? Is it really necessary? Does it really stand in the way, ultimately, of the message that you're trying to deliver? And, and sometimes uh, you're, you can be your own worst enemy in that regard. Yep, that's well said. And that's a great example uh, to share with us in terms of taking feedback um, from the audience. I want to ask you the flip side question, though, which is, how do you make sure that you don't change who you are to try to make everyone happy? Because I've gotten feedback that I certainly don't agree with, and neither would Anthony. And we say, all right, well, we can't, if you try to create a podcast that everyone will love, nobody's going to love it. Right? And you got to stay true to who you are by the same token. So how do you know when this is really helpful feedback versus this is someone's projection or reaction and you don't want to change who you are? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And ultimately, I think it just boils down to is the feedback based on something that is outside of who you inherently are as a human being? And it is something that doesn't impact your life in any way, shape, or form, or your personality. In other words, if you are, if you are, if you are just hell-bent on dropping the F-bomb every six seconds, then that's who you are. I mean, I was just hanging out you know, with this guy who was a friend of a friend. And, you know, within the first three seconds of him walking up, he started dropping the F-bomb every three seconds, you know, New Yorker and this, that, and the other. <laughs> And I'm a Chicagoan and I can roll, you know, I've got, you know, I, that's, I'm not thin skin in that regard. But, you know, at the same token, it was just like, I just don't want to be around this at this point in my life. Right. Yeah. And so people will make decisions based on who they are in that moment of time. And so if the feedback that you're getting completely flies in the face of who you are in that moment of time and you know it's not going to be something that if you change, you would be comfortable with in making that change, then you don't make that change. And alternatively, like not saying that people who take in foster kids are doing so because of the money, that doesn't impact me and my personality. It doesn't impact me in the presentation that I make. It doesn't impact the effectiveness of that story. And as a matter of fact, I have seen this many a time. Matter of fact, at our event, the New Media Summit, we bring in outside speakers, and I have literally seen half of the audience start tuning the speaker out when they go down a particular lane on the political spectrum. You know, you can just see it. And so if you're willing to lose half the audience because you're pro-Trump, or if you're willing to lose half the audience because you're anti-Trump, as an example, then so be it. Don't change who you are. But is it worth you know, is it worth that to, to you and, and your business and, and, and who, you know, does that, does that come into question your, your integrity and who you are as a person? Only you can make that call. Yeah. And that, that integrity goes both ways with the audience and, and the host, if you really think about it. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting too, because one of the things that I've become very, very clear on is that we all live by our own moral codes. And more specifically, we all live by our own set of rules. And my rule set is going to be different from Anthony's. It's going to be different from Brendan's. But it doesn't mean that I'm right. And conversely, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. And so I think what ends up happening, and Brendan, maybe what you're really experiencing there is that there is a significant difference between maturity and wisdom. And, and maturity to me means that you seek counsel before making important decisions. And wisdom to me means knowing 
which decisions are important. And the fact is that you are at a point where you are gaining both maturity and wisdom. And so by seeking those, you know, outside, uh, you know, just by seeking input from others, you're demonstrating maturity that you probably would not have been able to demonstrate just a few short years ago. And then as you continue to grow, as your wisdom continues to grow, you'll become much more selective about what you seek input on. Yeah, no, that's very helpful. Anthony, what were you going to say? I was just going to say, it's funny, that same premise, that same concept, Steve, you talk about applies to heads of companies. And I think that success. Oh, we'll let Anthony yeah. collect his thoughts on that one. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's getting called by a CEO right now. Yeah, all right. And there's yeah. my, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's, that's good. So let's, um, let's go over to another question about podcasting, which, uh, uh, you know, a lot of our listeners are, are asking me, um, especially people who are not doing this to be a podcaster, but say going into an, a new career as a coach or a thought leader. And they say, oh, uh, I feel like I should have a podcast. Everyone else has one. Or they're genuinely interested in it. How do you come out on that question? And when do you advise someone have a podcast versus not go that route? Yeah, to me, I would simply say this, which is if, if you embrace new media in any way, shape, or form. And new media to me actually would include a website, right? Because no matter how you slice it, a, you know, a, a website is something that is electronic. It would fall under the category of new media. And is one of those things that if you're in business, you simply need. I, I would put podcasting in that same in that same exact light in that same exact category. To me, if if you have a business, you need to have a website and you need to have a podcast. It, it really just is that simple. Mm-hmm. If you have a website, you should have a podcast. Yep. And when you uh, talk, to, if you take someone who isn't necessarily like a solopreneur who does a specific type of coaching, where they can go on at length about a topic, which would be a more natural fit to me. If you take a, a business uh, or a more corporate scene, how do you advise, how would you advise them on creating a podcast specifically more, more of an old school company? How do they engage with young people? How do they keep it interesting? How do they uh, engage with people? If let's say it's a little more esoteric or different topic than a traditional show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And what I would say is you, you don't always need to have an external facing podcast. You can have what's known as an intercast, which is an internal podcast that is only heard by your employees. So I I am a big believer in the medium for sure, but it doesn't always have to be a consumer facing medium. So you absolutely, as a, as the CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company, or I mean, somehow you have to be able to communicate with your employees, especially when you get over, you know, a thousand employees. It becomes increasingly difficult. We actually just did an article in Podcast Magazine about the lack of engagement and how few people actually listen, uh, open. I'm sorry, um, uh, corporate email, and how just the, the number of uh, of emails that are open that come from HR are even smaller than that. So I mean, it's just like it's ridiculously low in terms of engagement through email. So having a, a podcast for a larger company is is a great way 
to simply communicate internally. And because people can listen on their own time at their, you know, on their, on the, you know, on the treadmill, just going to and from work, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the open rates and engagements, engagement rates of uh, intercast actually is, uh, is much, much, much higher than, than you might think. So not every company needs to have a consumer facing podcast, but uh, again, hundred yeah, percent of the companies, if you have a website, you should have a podcast and you could have a lot of fun with it, especially as you get into bigger companies like Procter and Gamble and so on mm -hmm. that have all of these brands and you could have a, a lot of fun with that. You know, I mean, stories of people brushing their teeth and ridiculous. I mean, again, <laughs> the goofier, the crazier, the better one of we featured a, a podcast in, <laughs> uh, in podcast magazine in our inaugural issue uh, that is called serial killers. And that's C-E-R-E-A-L, like what you eat, serial killers. Yeah. And all these guys do is talk about cereal and they review cereals. If you, know, if you were uh, General Mills or if you were Post or whoever, you should be buying that, that show in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the key takeaways that I'm having here, central theme of this interview, is that podcasts are a great way to engage. And I think it's very fascinating what you say, Steve, about an, you know, an internal podcast to engage company employees. But I, I think it's interesting to use the podcast as a way to uh, get in people's ears more. I, I've certainly conferred with some bigger social media personalities and people who have very large personal brands. And they say that their goal with everything social media wise is to funnel people to the podcast for the, on the free side of freemium. And then obviously you can leverage that to then upsell into programs and products. But I, I like that a lot. It, it is a great way to engage. Everyone's obsessed with the email list, on Twitter, on Instagram, but you know, 10 people listening to you for an hour a week is more valuable to me than 5,000 Twitter followers who click my like button every now and then, and you can't control that algorithm anyway. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the numbers, uh, again, the numbers don't have to be staggering for you to have a significant impact on, uh, on people's lives, you know, those that you're most compelled to serve, for sure. Exactly. All right. Tell us about, um, as we wrap up here, tell us about Podcast Magazine, New Media Summit, what you're focused on, and what's going on yeah. there. We got some exciting news on Podcast Magazine. Yeah, so Podcast Magazine uh, is, uh, is our newest baby and, and really just it's it's been an incredible go. I mean, it was it was zero to launch in roughly a hundred days. I mean, from the from the moment I sat there with the with the idea of why isn't there like a Sports Illustrated Thrasher type magazine, right? Something that really focuses on podcasts and podcast culture and takes readers deeper into the lives of the podcasters they love and the stories they can't get enough of, and you know something that's really for the fans. You know, there's some, there's some good industry rags out there and whatnot, and that's all. But I want, I want something for the fans. Like, where, where do the fans go to connect on a more deep, you know, on a deeper level with, again, the podcasters and, and the shows that they love? And, and more importantly, how do you find shows outside of the usual suspects? You know, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a handful of smaller apps out there and some things, you know, they're, they're doing some cute stuff out there and whatnot. But on a, on, a, on a broader level, how can we level the playing field for all podcasters where we give people the opportunity to find shows that they haven't heard of, but they should be listening to? And then what about like a chart 
you know, where's like a billboard thing for podcasting? Like, where's that? You know, if you go to iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever, you're going to see ratings and you're going to see shows featured, but those are based on subscribes and, and downloads and ratings and reviews. So that's like an ascending spiral. 99.9% .9 of shows aren't going to break into. Right. So what if we created a, a chart that was created by fans for fans? And so I'm going through all of these ideas and just kicking them around. I start talking to some people about it and they're like, that's got to exist. Doesn't that exist? And kept looking, kept looking. And the answer was no. And so literally in, in just a matter of days, I had assembled a, a pretty large group of people who were excited about working on this with me. Uh, and I went to look for the domain and I was like, what are we going to call this thing? Right. I mean, we got to, it would only make sense to call it podcast magazine. Like what else would you call it? And, um, and the, and the domain was taken, but nobody was doing anything with it. So I found the, the buyer and I ended up buying it and, I mean, it wasn't a, a huge number, but it was enough to make you pause and go, mm, you know, is this, <laughs> is this really worth it? Uh, and at the end of the day, I, I calculated in my mind that it's a, it's a good calculated risk. And uh, we've since been able to open the doors to people like Adam Carolla and Dave Ramsey and, uh, you know, Marie Forleo and Katie Couric. And our inaugural feature uh, is uh, Glenn Washington of Snap Judgment, Snap Judgment and Hook. Uh, spooked and Heaven's Gate, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just crazy how many people are saying, yeah, we, we, we want to be a part of this. It's crazy the short amount of time you pull that off. It's, it's pretty nuts. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, our, and our first issue is 120 pages, right? So our inaugural issue, and we've got like no ads in this thing. So it's, it's a chunk load of content and, and it's good content. And we break it down you know, with feature articles, but then every major category is covered in the magazine. Because if you go to like Apple or whatever, you'll see how it breaks down into categories. So you have like, you know, fiction and true crime and society and culture and business and so on. But we actually have a category director now for each of those categories who do a feature article and under the radar review, uh, you know, their own selection for their pick of the month. Um, and then in our, in our podcast magazine, Hot 50, um, we had well over a thousand entries for the first one, uh, and we've more than uh, whatever 5X would be on that. Quick, I don't even know how to say it, but whatever it is, um, we've got more than 5,000 entries already on our next one. So it's pretty cool to see how it's growing. Well, congratulations. How can people get access to the magazine and learn more? Yeah, we keep it real simple. So we do it as a digital magazine right now uh, with a limited print run. Uh, so just simply podcastmagazine.com. So podcastmagazine.com. And uh, we are doing free lifetime subscriptions for now. Um, at some point, we'll turn that off. I don't know exactly when, but uh, we will turn that off at some point. But for right now, free lifetime subscriptions. Excellent. And, uh, and before, as we wrap up here, what else uh, are you focused on? What are you most interested in right now? I know the new media summit is a big one, but feel oh, free yeah. to talk about whatever else is going on so people can get more connected to you and what, what you're working on. Yeah, the new media summit's a rocking good time. We're actually, uh, we're doing our sixth one now. And um, it's just, it's, it's a really fun event where we give 150 attendees the opportunity to take center stage to take the microphone the spotlight the music you know the whole nine a big you know big to do around them uh, and they literally get to pitch 
40 top podcasters that are in attendance. And of course, everyone else is in the room and then all the people on the live stream and so on. And they pitch on who they are and what they do. Uh, and they literally get booked on the spot. Our, our average attendee leaves with 20 plus bookings on, uh, on shows. And so love the new media summit. We do it twice a year and, um, it's not an inexpensive investment, but as you know, we've been talking about here, you appear on 20 different shows, you got a hundred, a thousand, 10,000, however many people listen, we got bigger shows than that that are represented. Yeah. You know, it's, it's pretty easy to turn that visibility into cash. And we spend a full day teaching folks how to, how to do exactly that. So yeah, new media summit.net uh, is the website on that. And I love that because it's such an authentic way to get your brand out there rather than say just running Facebook ads to your show, your own show. You're now, sure. you're pitching yourself to people. And if it's a good fit at new media summit, you go on their show, you could talk about yourself in an authentic way. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody's offended that I'm saying, you know, podcastmagazine.com or newmediasummit.net at this point, because we've had, you know, a, a great conversation and either you like me at this point or you don't, and you want to be in my world or you don't. Right. So <laughs> For those who do, you'd actually be doing a more of a disservice not to say, you know, hey, let's continue the conversation over here. Absolutely. Steve Alsher, thanks again for coming on. Do you have any social handles or website, anything you want to share where people can tune in? Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be uh, for Podcast Magazine. It's always going to be at the Podcast Mag. So at the Podcast Mag was the only one we could get for all the channels for whatever reason. Uh, or, uh, or at Steve Olsher, O-L-S-H-E-R is typically where you'll find me. Perfect. Well, Steve, thanks again for joining us on the show. Thank you, gents. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Lastly, if you're looking to take your personal life, business, or career to the next level, and you want access to me as well as my community of like-minded people, head over to courses.brendanhburns.com and join us in Mastery Academy, my membership site that comes with online course content as well as live coaching calls every two weeks hosted by me personally. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.